Good morning, everyone. It is great to be with you once again this morning. We're going to come to God's Word in just a moment, but before we do, I felt it was right that I said something in response to the racism that has been raised this week as a response to the tragic death of George Floyd and that black lives matter. It'd be wrong simply to say nothing or to ignore the situation altogether. One of our values here at Freedom Church is that we value everyone irrespective of their differences. But sometimes those are words that are easy to say, but we need to be living them out. And I think one of the things that's been highlighted this week is the need for each and every one of us to examine our own hearts in light of this whole issue. To ask the question, allow the Holy Spirit to to shine his light, to see is there anything within our hearts that is racist in any particular way? Any prejudice that we hold? There's no room for this. There's no place for this at all within our church, within our society. So we need to deal with it. During this week, we had the great opportunity of joining with 15 other nations as part of Christ Central Churches. So we joined with with our friends over in Zambia, in Ghana, in Mexico, of course across the UK and, and various other different nations as well. It was such a great time to spend with them, to just hear what they're doing, to pray together, to encourage them. And it's so important that we value one another. But the truth of the matter, this is all a gospel issue. It's an issue of the gospel that we need if we're going to truly love one another as Christ has called us to love one another. If we're going to value one another as God has called us to value one another. We need God's help in this. Yes, we examine our hearts. We come with repentance where that is necessary. But also then... We allow the gospel to come to bear in every area of our life, in every area of our society. Let's just pray. Father, we just acknowledge our need of you. Come, Holy Spirit, and just fill us. And Father, we want to pray, Lord God, that there would we'd stand up for justice. We would not be silent. We would not ignore when injustice happened. We would stand up and we would be counted. We'd stand with our brothers and sisters, whatever nation they come from. And that we would not tolerate anything, anything less than valuing each other as we ourselves want to be valued. So as we come to your word now, Lord Jesus, to open our hearts, to receive from it. Just lead us, we ask, in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, we are in Acts chapter 19, verses 1 to 10. As we have heard over the last few weeks, 
Paul has been has been traveling overland and he's been visiting many different churches along the way. But now we're in Acts chapter 19 and we read these words. It says this. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions until he reached Ephesus on the coast where he found several believers. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed, he asked them. No, they replied. We haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. What baptism did you experience, he asked. And they replied, the baptism of John. Paul said, John's baptism called for repentance from sin, but John himself told the people to believe in the one who would come later, meaning Jesus. As soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in other tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. Then Paul went to the synagogue and preached boldly for the next three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some became stubborn, rejecting his message and publicly speaking against the way. So Paul left the synagogue and, and took the believers with him. Then he held daily discussions at the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for the next two years so that people throughout the province of Asia both Jew and Greek heard the word of the Lord. You see when Paul arrives back in Ephesus he meets 12 men who who are devoted to God but there's something missing from their life and from their faith. And this, this passage has been the centre of a storm for, for many, many years about baptism in the Holy Spirit. And on one side of the argument are those who think that these are true believers in Jesus who haven't yet received the Spirit. So they'll argue something like this, that this proves that baptism with the Spirit is a second stage of the Christian life after conversion. Others disagree and, and, and they back up their opinions by stating that conversion always involves baptism in the spirit and that these disciples simply haven't heard the whole gospel yet. So how do we know which one is true? Well, we let God's word speak. Let's have a look. We're going to start where Paul starts as he investigates the situation with, with two questions in verse 2. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And what baptism did you experience? So why does Paul ask about baptism? In this, the book of Acts, a, a person's baptism is actually a very good indicator of his or her spiritual experience. And, and these Twelve men had received John's baptism. And if, if we're going to understand what happens here in, in, in chapter 19, we, we need to know a bit more about this guy, John. Now, John, well, 
He's known as John the Baptist or John the Baptizer was by anybody's standards a very, very weird sort of guy. Actually, they don't come much stranger than John. He is a little bit of a freak. He, he lives rough. He doesn't care what people think about him. He doesn't care what he looks like. He dresses in camel's hair with a big leather belt around his waist. I can imagine him with a big bushy beard, disheveled looking hair. The sort of guy that you smell before you see. And he lives off a diet of locusts and wild honey. Now, anyone who lives on such a high sugar diet, supplemented by insects, has got to be a little bit highly strong. They may be a good source of protein, of vitamins, of, of minerals, but it's just not my idea of a, of a light snack. Yet people were traveling for miles to come and see him. So what were they coming for? If it wasn't for his fashionable camel hair clothes or for his vice on personal hygiene or even his dietary tips, why were these people coming? Perhaps it was for the quality of his motivational teaching. In Luke chapter 3, we actually find out about what he was teaching. And, and I guess, I think I can sum it up in pretty much one word. Repent. And I can imagine him just shouting this as loud as possible. Repent, turn from your sins and be baptized. This is the sort of guy that stands in the middle of the square with an A board over both shoulders. And with the, with, with the words that read, repent for the end of the world is nigh. John was anything but seeker-sensitive. He calls everyone to repentance. This guy was not afraid of anyone. John, John was not concerned about himself. He wasn't even concerned for his own safety. God had put a call upon this man's life and he chose to obey God. Yet, he doesn't want to be seen. He's not after fame, he's not after glory, he doesn't even care what other people are going to think about him. He doesn't want to build a following, he doesn't want to be popular. It's, it's just therefore rather ironic that these 12 men in Ephesus are still following him because that is never, and it never was John's plan. In all that he does, in fact, in all that he says, he's pointing to someone else, to someone who is greater. John's ministry was a preparation. Because he's pointing to Jesus. In fact, all of scripture is about Jesus. All that you will read in your Bibles Wherever you happen to turn to, the very first question that you should be asking yourself is, what does this tell me about Jesus? This entire book is God's redemptive plan. You see, in Jesus, we have a better way. So if you're following anything else or anyone else, and it doesn't even matter how religious you are, you will find, just like these 12 men in the story today, there will always be something missing from your life. John the Baptist actually makes this point perfectly clear. In John chapter 1 verse 23, John's asked the question, who are you? And he answered it by telling people 
using the words of Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 3. A voice cries out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And that's pretty much all he says. And I love his answer because the point that he's trying to make in quoting this passage from Isaiah is that he wants everyone to know that he is not the most important person here. He is not the Messiah. In fact, he, he doesn't even see himself as being an, a, a prophet. He, he, he's no more than a voice. And can you see how significant his words are here? How much of a contrast there is here? You see, Jesus... Jesus, who is the Word, that's, what, that's how Jesus described in John chapter 1 and verse 1. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word comes and lives among us. And yet John says, I am a voice. And my purpose is not to teach, but to point people to Jesus. And, and John is the voice crying out. He, he's come to proclaim. He's come to reveal the glory of Jesus. The voice speaks of a promise of hope beyond judgment. But perhaps most significantly, the voice is speaking the very word of God. He's pointing people to Jesus. It's not about John. Later on in, in John chapter 3 and verse 30, he, he says that Jesus must increase and I must decrease. And all, and all that John can say about himself is that he is a voice. And what John wants to shout so that everyone will listen, don't look at me, look at Jesus I'm not important. I'm only, I'm only the voice. You don't want the voice. You want the word. You don't want a man. You want God. Look at Jesus. I baptize with water. He baptizes with the Spirit. And that is key when we go back into Acts chapter 19. John genuinely did not want to be seen. He wants Jesus to be seen. And what about you? What about you today? Is your heart cry that Jesus is exalted? Are, are, you, are you pointing others to him? Or are, are you more concerned about how you look? John needs to be the model for every Christian. See, by nature, we all... We all like people to focus on us. I want, I want to feel special and, and so do you. You want people to love you, to tell you how great you are. Now, what I'm not saying is that we want to encourage some sort of false humility or, or even we want to run people down to try and quash their pride. In fact, the very opposite is true. We should be building people up. We should be encouraging people in the ways of God. But what I am saying is this, you need to acknowledge that there is someone greater, someone who is so much greater, someone who is so much more glorious than anything we could ever imagine. The King has come. King Jesus has left the glory of heaven and has come down to this earth. He came down as a baby, 
But he is the one who grew up into a young man who, who lived a life, who faced the same difficulties, the same challenges that you face. But he did it perfectly without sin. And when people met him, they knew that this was, this is no ordinary man. In fact, when John the Baptist sees Jesus for the very first time, he declares, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of this world. And this is such a big statement because only God can forgive sins. And only a man who has never sinned could take the punishment for sin. But it wasn't just John who realised this. When Paul, the Apostle Paul, encounters Jesus on the Damascus road, he fell to the ground. He hears the voice of Jesus. He's blinded by just the intensity of, of, of Jesus' presence. <laughs> and he cannot ignore Jesus any longer. After Ananias lets hands on him, Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit. His sight is restored and he was baptised and he became one of the most radical followers of Jesus Christ. He was the most incredible evangelist. You see, what Paul and what John had in common is that they both realised that Jesus is God. Jesus, who is 100% man, and yet he is 100% God. He was nailed to a cross. He died in your place to pay the price for your sin, a price, let's be honest, that you could never pay. He did it all for you. Therefore, he has bought your forgiveness, but you must come to him and put your trust in Jesus. And like Paul, and like John, the 12 men in this chapter need to realise who Jesus is and what he has done. And so do you. Repenting and turning to Jesus is still and will always be the only way to have your sins removed. And it's so important that you know Jesus' forgiveness and know his cleansing because, because one day... Each and every one of us will be judged. You will stand before God. And if you have not been forgiven by Jesus, God, who is righteous, who is absolutely just, who is completely fair, will have to punish your sins. And you will be condemned to a never-ending punishment. That's what the Bible tells us. But when you come, when you come in repentance to Jesus, he forgives your sins so that you can stand before God completely clean. In that moment of faith, his spirit, the Holy Spirit comes and fills you and changes you into a new person. You, you're made righteous before God. I wonder if you made that decision. Have you put your trust in Jesus? Listen, you can do it right now. In this moment. Let's just pause for a moment. Why don't pray with me? Why don't just talk to God? Tell him that 
you've done many wrong things and you ask him to forgive you. And turn to Jesus. Invite him to come into your life. Invite his Holy Spirit to fill you, to change you, to make you into a new person, to become a Christian, to follow Christ with all of your heart. If you've done that, when I come and let us know about that, drop us a, a little note, a little email. We'd love to spend some time with you to talk it through further with you. At the beginning of this talk, we, we were asking the question, why is Paul so interested in, in, in these men's baptism? Well, see, it speaks volumes about what they really understood. Because their reply to Paul reveals just a, a vagueness and an uncertainty in their faith, which, which creates doubt as to, as to what they really believe. They, 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 they certainly had come to believe something connected with the teaching of John the Baptist. That he, they even described themselves as disciples of John, but they still didn't know about Jesus and the promise of the Spirit. Even though in the Old Testament, it clearly prophesies that one day the Holy Spirit will come and baptize God's people. They do not know that the Holy Spirit had already been given. It's very possible that these men were Apollos' early converts. We heard about him a few chapters ago and, and therefore they did not fully understand what Christ has done. So were they actually saved? Well, they didn't know Jesus. It seems clear. And, and Jesus is the only way to God our Father. And, it's, and, and it seems very obvious from Scripture that though these men have repented, they have not turned to Jesus Christ. And, and this is the reason why they have not received the Holy Spirit. So let me be absolutely clear. Being baptised and attempting to be religious is not Christianity. Because, because something or rather someone is always going to be missing. So Paul explains to them that John's baptism was a baptism of repentance and, and actually looked forward to the coming of the promised Messiah, whereas Christian baptism is a baptism that looks back to the finished work of Christ on the cross and his glorious resurrection. True faith comes when the believer realises that Christ stands in the centre of it all Listen, he is the centre of history itself. His life, his death, his resurrection has truly changed everything. So let me just hopefully pull all of this together. The witness of the Holy Spirit is one of the most indispensable proofs that a person is truly born again. So we read in Romans chapter 8 verse 9, you are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. Or Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13. 
And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believe in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. And we have seen this all the way through the book of Acts. We have seen from the birth and from the history of the church how the apostles had ministered first of all to the Jews and then to the Samaritans and then, then they went to the Gentiles. And every time the authenticity of an individual's conversion was proven by the Holy Spirit coming. And there were always signs accompanying his arrival. So here in, in chapter 19, it's no different. It's, it's like another mini Pentecost. And as John, John Stott comments, they experienced many Pentecosts. Better, Pentecost caught up with them. Better still, they were caught up into it as its promised blessings became theirs. This is something that you receive. It is a gift from God. And it's so important that we hear that we apply the whole gospel message to our lives. So, so you should be so thankful to God for the gift of his Holy Spirit and, and all the blessings that he brings because God's plan has not changed for his church. Sinners still need to hear the word of God. And when they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, they receive his Holy Spirit, then they are baptized. The outpouring of the Spirit is God's destiny for mankind. His purpose has always been to put us right with himself. So you must know by now that, that this comes it, it, it comes through the sacrificial work of Jesus on the cross. And, and the starting point is, is always repentance and faith in Jesus. But the purpose of redemption is that you might become a co-worker with Christ. The outpouring of the Spirit is just intrinsically linked with the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And even, and even though this experience has caused controversy and much debate over the years, listen, there was no debate when he first came 2,000 years ago to the early church. He is absolutely essential now as he was to those early believers so much so that, that Jesus warned them that they, they were not to leave Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit came, until they received the power of the Holy Spirit. But, but this is not just one experience. If you read through Acts, you find that the disciples received other fillings. So we read it in Acts chapter 4, verse 30, how the Holy Spirit comes upon them again. They were filled and they were refilled and they were continually being filled with the Holy Spirit. This was key to the disciples so successfully following Jesus' commands and making disciples of all nations. And it therefore should seem so obvious to us that this is the key for every believer, including you and me today. We need the Holy Spirit. We need him. And Jesus is the Spirit 
baptizer. This word baptize we've used a little bit today. It means to be overwhelmed. It means to be immersed or to be plunged. This, this is what happens when you get baptized in the spirit. You become overwhelmed by, you become immersed in, you plunge into the spirit of God. It's not just a splash or even like a heavy rain shower. It, it's, it's probably a similar feeling to what you find when you're on holidays and it's so hot and you're, you're walking along the edge of the pool and then you jump in and you go right under and you just cover yourself in that cool water and it feels so good and, and you're soaking wet from the top of your head right the way down to your toes. That needs to be your experience of being filled with the Spirit. But we can get so caught up with all the arguments and we can talk about who wants to, who, who's speaking in tongues and who's not speaking in tongues and, and, and this and there are place for theological discussions of course on all of these issues. But what I want to say to you this morning is this, be filled with the Spirit. It's that simple, be filled with the Spirit. Don't be afraid of the Holy Spirit. Don't be too quick to condemn experiences or even manifestations of the Spirit. And in the process, end up ignoring the promises of Scripture that the Holy Spirit is for you and for your children. It's for everyone who calls on the name of Jesus. Acts chapter 2 verse 39. See, when you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit fills you. You feel his presence. And when the Holy Spirit touches a person's life, there's always going to be an effect. And that, 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 that will often be some sort of tangible change. It's often joy. It also can be a new language. It can be the gift of tongues. It can be prophecy. It can be the gifts of the Spirit poured into your life. But without exception, there is always this new desire, this passion for worship. There's always this deep love for Jesus. When the Holy Spirit is poured out, the face of God is revealed. And you will never be the same again. I want Freedom Church to be a place where the Holy Spirit moves. Where God's presence is. Listen, when you are among Christians, it is, it is good as a safe place so you, you, for you to use the gifts of the Spirit. But it mustn't stop here. He must invade all of your life and actually all of our communities. So let it. Let the longing of our hearts be for miracles to be commonplace in our gatherings, but also in our streets. That's my prayer as we, as we come out of this lockdown period over in the next few weeks and months. May God's Spirit come, may it change our communities, may it change us. As the Holy Spirit transforms your life, He changes you to become more like Jesus. See, it's not about you anymore. It's about Jesus. And, and when you realize what Jesus has done for you, 
Your desire will be that Jesus is glorified, not you. Your, your conversations will change. You should be talking about Jesus, not about yourself. C.T. Studd, most of you will have heard of him. He, he played cricket many years ago for England, but he, he gave up this rather fantastic career and became a missionary who faithfully served his saviour in China, in India, in Africa. What many people may don't know about him, on his 21st birthday he received this great inheritance from his parents, making him a very wealthy man. However, by the time he died, he had given virtually every single penny away. You see, C.T. Studd could have been wealthy, he could have been a famous cricketer, instead he chose to be a young man with a voice. A young man who was filled with the Spirit. A young man who pointed people to Jesus Christ. He's best known for these words that some of you will probably know off by heart. If Jesus Christ is God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. I wonder, are you following his example? Are you living like that? What are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Listen, if you know Christ, you need to be filled and to be refilled with the Spirit of God. You're hungry for him. I want to pray as we finish, we bring things to a close. I want to invite the Holy Spirit to come to your room. Listen, God is not restricted by space or even by time. I believe God's going to minister to some of you right now, right in your living rooms. Why not just hold up your hands to receive from him? I'm going to pray, invite the Holy Spirit to come to fill you, to refresh you this morning. You know his presence, but also that you'd be equipped to service, to go. We'd be ready, ready with the gospel, ready to take the good news of Jesus to those who need to hear it so much. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. Thank you for what we can learn from it. We want to pray now for the application of your word into our lives today. So Jesus, we cry to you, send your spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, come and fill us. Come and just refresh us with your presence. Now just receive from him. Maybe begin to cry out even in your house. Why not ask him, come Holy Spirit. Simple words. Come and fill me. Come and change me. Just wait for a moment. Just receive him. Just be listening to what he may be saying to you.
encourage you this week to spend time with him. Spend time in his word, spend time in prayer, spend time listening. God wants to use you. He wants to use you to build his kingdom in your community for the glory and for the honor of his name. Amen. As we just bring things to a close, we're going to have a few notices in a moment that will appear on the screen. And after that, we're going to move into breakout rooms. So do hang around, don't disappear off. We want to uh, just connect with one another. So it's great to spend time together, to be able to chat together as well. And, and hopefully we'll be able to meet together more normally in the next month or two. Good to be speaking with you today. God bless you. Have a great week and we'll see you soon.